Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CapesidePress.com. I'm Danny Goopy Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, we got the last UFC card of 2022 this week, UFC Vegas 66. We'll, of course, be breaking down the main event between Sean Strickland and Jared Cannonier and some of the other fights on the main card as well. This is part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, we, of course, are going to be talking to some fighters. Kicking off the show this week, I'm going to be talking to Julian Arosa, who fights Alex Caceres on this card. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be talking to Brian Battle, who is fighting Renat Fakhardinov, again, on UFC Vegas 66. But before we get to any of that great content for you, i got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Pickett. The Pickett social betting platform allows you to link all of the action from every single different sportsbook account that you use all in one nice, neat little place. Not only that, but you can stay up to date on all of the bets that your friends are dropping and show off your big scores as well right there in their feed. Plus, it's a great place to build a following if you're an up-and-comer in the sports betting world, or hey, maybe you're even a well-established veteran and you're just trying to expand that audience. Wherever you are, whether it's new, regular, or an experienced better, stop what you're doing right now, join the Picket community today by downloading the Picket app on either the Google Play Store or the App Store. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Julian Arosa, who fights Alex Caceres at UFC Vegas 66. That fight is on December 11th. So, Julian, I, I obviously want to talk about the Caceres fight, but before we do that, I wanted to talk about your fight with Hakeem Dawudo because not only did you go in there and, and put on an absolute clinic on the feet, but we got to see a lot more of your wrestling game than we've pretty much seen ever in the UFC. Was that part of the game plan going in? Yeah, um, for sure. I think... Uh... Uh, honestly, like, you know, I train with some of the best grapplers in the world, uh, at Tennis Planet, uh, here in Las Vegas. And, you know, I, I feel like people don't necessarily see much of my grappling and my wrestling because, you know, I just like to stand and, and trade with people and I, I'm long and lanky and I can, you know, once I get, you know, a hang of my range with somebody, I feel like I can, uh, you know, outclass them on the feet. And I think that's kind of what happened with the Dawadu situation. I really wanted to get him down and I knew if I got him down, I had the advantage there, but, um, you know, it's tough to get guys down that don't want to get taken down, especially like a guy like Dawadu. I was, you know, obviously doing the homework on him and he fought Evalov and Evalov, you know, took him down, took his back. But there were some times where Evalov had a hard time getting him to the ground. And I think it was also because Dawadu was expecting that. Um, and with me, I don't know if he thought he was going to, I think, I think he thought I was going to stay and trade with him, which I did. Uh, but I think I surprised him on the feet, which, you know, eventually helped me with the takedowns as well because once I kind of had him dazed and confused on the feet, the, I think the takedowns was that much easier to get him to the ground. And um, I think with the Dawadu fight was one of the first times ever, you know, that I kind of um, traded in a, a crazy stand-up battle later in the fight uh, to take him down and just control him. And, um, you know, I, I played it a bit smart, 
um, and a little bit, you know, a little bit safer than I normally like to do. But, uh, you know, I was able to get out of that fight uh, against a really tough, uh, top, tough dude uh, without getting hurt and taking much damage at all. So um, I was really happy with the way I played that out. And sometimes, uh, you know, looking back at it, I'm almost more impressed with my performance of taking him down and not getting a finish and, and not getting into some crazy uh, uh, battle like I had with, like, Peterson. Um, I, I felt like I was a, a bit smarter on this one, and, um, you know, I feel like that's kind of just my game growing as well. I like that a lot. Now, I, I want to ask you, too, a little bit about the striking going as well as it did, because not that we didn't think you had high-level striking and not that people, you know, weren't counting on you going in there and, and putting in a great fight against Hakeem Dawado, but it looked insanely easy. Like you just said, the takedowns looked maybe easy because the striking was going so well. And the striking looked like he didn't have anything for you. Were you surprised at, not necessarily that you won and you won that way, but maybe just how easy it was to outstrike him? Yeah, you know, and and I'm not sure exactly, you know, what's going on with, you know, my opponents. Like, he missed weight, and it was the first time he's ever missed weight in his entire, like, fighting career, not just the UFC. So, Obviously, maybe something was going on, and maybe he just wasn't there mentally. And I, 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 I had heard uh, through the grapevine that maybe I think he had done an interview and said something about possibly wanting to retire after the Mike Trezano fight if he had lost. And uh, so, you know, you don't really know what's going on in somebody's life uh, that can affect them mentally, um, physically, and emotionally. And and I don't, I don't want to take anything away from me. Um, I just don't know if I fought the best Dawadu out there. You know, I I watched, I did a lot of homework on Dawadu, and um, there was fights, you know, he fought some, you know, really high-level, tough guys, and he had an attitude about it the entire time. Like, was like, yeah, come on, screaming at some of these guys and and like, and, and really enjoying it. I feel like, you know, just with that, the way it all played out, him missing weight, um, and, I, uh, and then, like, kind of uh, performing the way he did, I don't want to take anything away from my own performance, but you just never know. You know, I, I, I don't know if that was the best I would do out there or if it wasn't. You know, I would like to hope and pray that it was because, that you know, that gives, you know, my win over him a little bit more um, uh, pull or a little more weight. Uh, but, you know, you never know, man. There's been times I've stepped in that cage and, you know, got starched in a minute and been, like, in the back, like, what the fuck happened? Like, that's not me at all. Like, that's not even close to my potential. So, um uh, you know, that could have been one of the, the situations and one of the errors on his part, maybe the, the weight cut, he, he maybe slacked off a little bit. I, you know, when you miss weight, that's not the, that's not the first thing you miss in your fight camp. You know, if you miss weight, you've all, you also probably missed some training sessions, probably also missed some of your diet situation, probably missed some of your cardio sessions. So just missing weight is not the first thing you miss, you know? So, um, you know, maybe slacked off a little bit. Um, and going into that fight from that, you know, I got paid already walking into that fight. I knew I was going to get paid an extra certain amount of money. So I was, it almost felt like I was free rolling. And then him walking into that, he probably felt the opposite of that, where he was like, felt like he was already down before he even started the fight. And so, uh, I feel like that could have given me a little bit of an edge and maybe a disadvantage in his mind as well. So, um, but yeah, the, I mean, the striking, uh, felt really good. I really trained hard on keeping my punches straight and down the pipe because uh, I knew I had the range. I just got to find my range. And uh, I was honestly waiting for him to start unloading kicks, but 
he, 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 tried, he kicked me like two times in the entire fight. You know, obviously I took him down and stuff as well, but um, I was waiting. I was kind of just waiting and waiting for him to, you know, try to get off, but he just never did. And, and I was able to take advantage of that. Absolutely. Now you, you mentioned in there, you know, you're not trying to take away from your, your performance, but you're being quite modest about how just how good you looked in there. And now you're on this amazing run since the UFC signed you back. You know, you're five yeah. out of six wins in, in you have to imagine a win over a guy like Hakeem Dowdo, who is in the UFC rankings at one point in time, has got to be putting you closer to that, having that number by your name is that sort of what you were expecting for an opponent next when you got Alex Caceres, or did you think you had like an opponent or two before you got the the ranking a ranked opponent? Uh, you know, honestly, for me, it's not even a, a it doesn't it doesn't really matter to me. Honestly, I, uh, I I feel like when I one of my biggest issues coming into the UFC early on when I was younger was uh, was those kind of things. It was like ranking numbers. Was uh, you know, fight of the night bonuses. Was uh, performance bonuses. These kind of things. I was focusing on the wrong things and um you know from my run as of late ever since the sean woodson fight i kind of put all that other that stuff aside and just said you know what i'm not worried about all this extracurricular uh variables that are involved with the ufc compared to like regional show fighting um because on the regional show man i was beating really tough dudes in very creative ways i was getting a lot of submissions i was getting a lot of knockouts against tough dudes like uh, you know, guys with winning records, you know, sometimes you see some of these people have these crazy careers, but they've beaten a lot of guys that are 50-50. But I had a lot of guys on my record. I don't think I fought really anybody with a losing record, in my, even in my, you know, younger days uh, uh, coming up as a professional. So, uh, but it was a bit simpler back then. You know, when you get in the UFC, you, you, you start to expect a little bit more of yourself and you want to, you know, present, you know, your style and you want to present, your fighting abilities a bit higher than uh, than maybe you you might have been doing when, at the regional shows. So for me, it was having to take a step back and not worry about that. I didn't need to I needed to stop trying to impress the UFC and stop trying to impress people. It, if I just go out there and fight the way I'm supposed to fight and the way I have been fighting my entire career, then people are going to be impressed regardless. So like the whole rankings. You know, focusing on bonuses, focusing on trying to be spectacular and getting crazy finishes, uh, kind of hindered me in the in the beginning. So as of as of late, I just stopped thinking about that kind of stuff and just go trying to go out there clear minded and fight the way I know I can fight. Well, and it's obviously been working for you. Now, I'm curious because you're saying that happened right around you know your third stint in the UFC, the Sean Woodson fight. Was there something? That, that triggered that change in you? Was there something that let you think to yourself, like, I got to let this stuff go this time around? Yeah. I mean, specifically for that fight, I had, you know, we, me and my, I had moved out here with my wife to Las Vegas to chase this dream. Been in the UFC once before and was trying to get back in. Um, coming off the ultimate fighter, I was one-on-one. They cut me, stayed in my small town for a couple of years. And then we moved out here, you know, me and my wife moved out of here, no jobs, no nothing, you know, you know, negative money, uh, you know, from, you know, credit card debt, trying to get out of here and find a place and get settled. And then, you know, chasing this dream, you know, did the, the contenders fight, knocked out Jamal Emmers and didn't get signed off that, which was, you know, absolutely crazy to me. But uh, I think it was a little bit different time back then on contenders but than it is now. But um, uh did that, then got into the UFC, you know, short notice against uh, Devontae and then lost against, Grant Dawson and I was I was on antibiotics, had an ear infection in that fight as well, and then 
And then I lost against Julio Arce, and I thought I was doing really well in that fight up until I got knocked out, and then I uh, got cut again. And, you know, I was so – I was in a place where I was just like – like I had nothing – I had nothing – to prove to anybody, I was already a laughing kind of a not. I don't want to say a laughing stock, but kind of in that in that same genre in the UFC. Like people thought it was crazy that I, I was getting a short notice fight against Sean Woodson. They're like, "Oh, he's just a, a sheep that's getting you know sent to slaughter, and uh, Sean's just gonna you know this is just a a guy for to Sean to beat up or whatever." And um, and so going into that fight, I had to let go of everything. Like just absolutely, like every I had already been at my lowest. I'd lost you know, three times uh, in a row in the UFC and two of them were knockouts. You know, that's the worst that you can do, you know, on television in front of my friends, my family, and everybody that has been behind me and, you know, believed in me had to witness me getting knocked out, you know, multiple times and losing three fights in a row. And um, and so for me, it was just like, you know what? Like, I've I've done the worst that you could possibly do. Like, I have nothing to, nothing to lose. Like, I'm just going to go out there and fight. Like, you know, if he's going to beat me, he's going to have to kill me. Like, so that was, like, specifically the kind of the mindset that I had switched over. And then – and that was, like, kind of embodied my fighting style into that exact fight. That was exactly, you know, the way I am in the gym where it's like, yeah, you might get the better of me in the beginning. And, you know, but if you keep me in the fight, you let me keep going, I'll find a way to win. And with Sean Woodson, that's what happened. You know, I was – you know, probably down two rounds and was able to drag him to the ground after, you know, he he got tired, you know, and I just kind of outdogged him and, and was able to get that darts choke. And uh, just ever since then, I've, I've tried to keep that same mentality and that same mindset of like nothing to lose kind of thing. So even when it's hard, man, it's hard when you get, you know, a new contract with the UFC, I'm on three fights in a row, five out of my last six, been doing really well. You You always have to go and remind yourself of, you know, those feelings where it was like, fuck, I had nothing. I Financially, I had nothing to show for fighting in the UFC. I had no job with the UFC anymore, been cut, and no possibilities of a job in the UFC. And it was, you know, it was wild how optimistic I still was back then. And so I still have to continuously remind myself about how I felt in those situations and replay those things in my head so I can have that same mindset leading up to these fights. I love that. Now, I, I got to ask, too, because you, you just said, you know, going into that Sean Woodson fight, a lot of people completely wrote you off and said, I can't believe this guy's getting a third shot. It's it's ridiculous that he is. Da, 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 da. We're only two and a half years removed from that. And not only are you going into a massive fight with Alex Caceres, a guy who's, you know, a household name in MMA circles. But do you know you're a massive betting favorite in this fight, too? People have you listed as like a negative 180 favorite. They're, they're expecting you not only to go in and fight Alex Caceres, but beat the hell out of him. Put into perspective what that's like in a two-and-a-half-year window. Yeah, you know, it's like I said, man, it was it was wild how optimistic I was uh, back then. And it really, in in all relativity to my career in, in a full, it was not long ago. You know, it really wasn't long ago. And me and my wife talk about it all the time. I mean – my coaches and my training partners, you know, it's like, like we were like during COVID, like that was right when it happened. Like I had lost three times in a row. I fought one time outside of the UFC after that. And I got a win over AJ Bryant, but I was still out of the UFC and it was COVID just hit. And it was like, uh, one of those things where just, you know, uh, like I really had no idea what I was going to do with my career. Am I going to keep fighting? Like, you know, I started thinking about these things. Like I can't be fighting on regional shows for pennies on the dollar you know, and, and still trying to make it by. So, uh, you know, it was, 
just in that time, it was just like I had to stay optimistic about the situation. Like, oh, maybe I'll get a, you know, maybe I'll go to Bellator, maybe I'll go to like One FC, or maybe PFL or something will like pop up for me. And I just got to stay and train and just work my ass off and uh, and just know that if I put the work in, it'll happen. And um, you know, and luckily for me, I was able to get that short notice fight and um and, and be able to just kind of parlay off that. But yeah, it's it's great to see that people, you know, uh, as a as a betting favorite, it's nice because uh, you know I've been an underdog quite a bit, and I actually enjoy being a bit of an underdog because it kind of takes the pressure off. But as you know, as of late, it's like I don't even like that stuff. Is like I keep that stuff out of my mind. I go in there to fight. I go in there with the mindset that I'm going to fight the best Alex Caceres there is, and I got to be on guard 100%, and I got to do everything right to beat him. So uh, it's nice to be the betting favorite and a little bit of respect on my name, but um, I think I've earned it. And uh, you know, obviously, I think my resume as of late uh, has shown uh, why. Yeah, I'm the and you mentioned favorite. you know going in there fighting the best Alex Caceres. So I usually like to end these things with a prediction. Give us what that looks like on December 17th. How you see it going down? Yeah, I think uh, I think one of my biggest assets is uh, me being able to outdog people and uh, just have the willingness to fight. And so I know Alex Caceres, you know, doesn't look like he has knockout power, like one punch knockout power, and he doesn't like, you know, he doesn't manhandle people and wrestle them down and choke them out that way. So, uh, but doesn't mean I'm not worried about those things. But I am gonna, you know, push the pace and push forward the entire time, and I'm. Uh, and I'm banking, and not necessarily banking, but I'm predicting that uh, I'm going to get a third-round TKO or submission. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Julian Arosa, who fights Alex Caceres at UFC Vegas 66. That fight is on December 17th. Julian, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thank you. I appreciate you as well. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Julian Arosa. I want to get him Daniel Gumby Freeland and joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave... The, uh, I, I would say the big storyline that came out of UFC 282, despite the fact we got 10 straight finishes, count them, 10 in a row, we ended the card with a couple of judges' decisions that people were not all too happy about. G- give us your take about, you know, either of those two decisions, or hey, maybe even the state of judging in MMA right now. Yeah, so I find it so ironic that on a card that was just so thrilling with so many finishes 10 out of 12 that the two decisions the judges had to get involved with or the two fights the judges had to get involved with they messed up both decisions now i'm talking about myself watching that live i haven't gone back and scored it but to the naked eye i thought the judges got both fights wrong now i saw um a couple of mma pundits say that you know maybe doug crosby who's always at the center of controversy was trying to curry favor by giving that uh, win to Patty Pimblett. But guess what? Two other judges scored it for Pimblett, too. So while that may be part of it, and I do think someone like Crosby needs to answer for his bad decisions, the whole idea that three people are going to score it, it just it doesn't work anymore in this day and age. I really think what the UFC should do is expand it to five, maybe even have like two in a booth, in the backstage area, just watching it on a monitor with a headset. So they're not even influenced by like the crowd ooing and eyeing, or you could even have someone back at like the UFC headquarters, home offices, but just relying on three is not enough to me. The Supreme court has nine judges. Every UFC fight should have the same. What about, what do you think? Yeah, I I kind of agree with you. Of all of the judging 
fixes that I've seen out there. Like, more judges, to me, can't be a bad thing, right? Like, five, five seven, even nine, I, I think makes more sense. Um, you know, you would have to have more people making bad decisions in order for that to happen. Um, you know, obviously, judges education is like probably the number one thing that's going to fix it. But all these people who talk about open scoring, fixing it, or this thing, fixing it, or that thing, fixing it. I don't, I don't think those are really the answers because at the end of the day, o- open scoring, like just tells you that they made a bad decision. It, it doesn't fix the bad decision. It doesn't fix all of those things. So I'm not in favor of that. I do want to quickly touch upon what you said about Doug Crosby though, because you're right. Two other judges gave him the decision which was wrong. You know, I, I did not personally score that fight for Patty Pimblet. I scored rounds, uh, I believe it was, was one in one three. One in three. Yeah, one in three for, for Jared Gordon. But I will say this, three was close. You know, three was close. So if you scored two and three for Pimblet, I think you got it wrong. But I don't think you're the dumbest individual on the planet. It's worth noting, Doug Crosby did not give one in three to Patty Pimblet. Doug Crosby gave three or one and three to Jared Gordon, rather. Doug Crosby did give three to Jared Gordon, though. He gave one and two to Patty Pimblet. I don't know who watches that first round and thinks to themselves, man, Patty killed it there. It's certainly his round. So, like, if you scored it for Patty, maybe not, like, criminal, but that's bad. And then on top of that, too, I just think this is compounded by the fact that he turned in one of the worst scorecards I've ever seen on Friday, where he gave a 50-45 uh, to Danny Sabatello in the Bellator title fight over Rufian Stotts. So, like, it, it, a fight that Stotts won on both other judges' scorecards. So he gave you 50-45 to the losing fighter, which is, you know, rarely ever seen. So, yeah, I, I think there are, there are fixes. But, again, you know, back to my original point, education, more judges might do it. But, you know, ultimately, they just need to be able to, to answer for their decisions. Yeah, I was actually going to say to button it up, accountability is also such a huge thing. I mean, these are not union jobs. It's not like dealing with umpires in the MLB. If there's a, you know, whether it be the media, who I don't necessarily think they always score perfectly, or whatever you want to say, like have a committee of ex-fighters who send in their picks to the UFC home office or the PFL home office, whatever the case may be, and say, we had it for this fighter, and you tally up the results, and if a Doug Crosby over the course of a year is so far out of bounds with what your executive committee, what your veterans committee is coming up with for these scores, then he needs to answer for it or just be pushed out of judging altogether. Like if you're falling within a you know, 12% swing off of fight decisions, you're just out. You know, maybe you're given a little leeway, but if you're so far off, you shouldn't be judging anymore, and they need to come up with some sort of system of checks and balances for accountability. Yeah, I agree with that. Some level of accountability. I, I will buck against the argument that it needs to be former fighters um, because I've heard that argument too. Man, we need more fighters who are judges. I actually think that, that there are a fair number of fighters, and I don't mean to be mean, but there are a fair number of fighters retired and present who don't understand the scoring criteria well. I mean, Daniel Cormier proves that on almost every single broadcast that he doesn't really understand the scoring. You know, when he says, oh, that takedown might have stolen the round. Dude, it shouldn't because by the scoring criteria, it shouldn't have mattered for Bubkiss. So, like, I, I hear that, like, education in, in educated refs or uh, judges are important, but also I, I will buck back on thinking that, it, like, it needs to be a fighter all the time, too. 
Totally fair. Uh, well, you talk about what's important, and I'll tell you what's really important. It's this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. It's our favorite segment on the show. We're going to break down a couple of fights, give a couple of live, do- live dogs, and a parlay to play, and we're doing it all for UFC Vegas 66. But before we get into it, I wonder, Gumby, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Sucks and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. Your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position, and it's time that you did too with MyBookie. MyBookie has the largest online selection of odds and contests to fill all of your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. Bet on the best in combat sports like the UFC or play for a big cash prizes in their weekly blackjack tournaments. Sign up at MyBookie and use promo code Top Turtle on a deposit of 500 bucks or more, and you can claim a bonus of up to $200. Again, that's promo code Top Turtle to claim a brand new deposit bonus designed for betters looking to get their cash in and out quick. Experience sports in a whole new light and make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Wow, all you have to do is enter in Top Turtle and you get that bonus. That's sick. I'll tell you what else is sick. It's a fun main event here in the middleweight division, which, let's face it, the middleweight division needs a little further shaking out, and I think this will do it. You have Sean Strickland, a minus 115, Jared Cannonier a minus 105, which is to say, bookies, Vegas, they don't know what to make of it, but we do. Uh, Cannonier coming off a loss to Israel Adesanya. He was on a two-fight win streak before that with wins over Gastelum, Brunson. He had lost to Whitaker before that, so he's lost to, you know, the tippy-top of the division. Now fighting Strickland, who himself is coming off a loss to Alex Pereira, the now champion. Before the Pereira loss, Strickland was looking like the man to beat on a six-fight win streak before running into Pereira, trying to get that win mojo back, trying to get a second crack at Pereira as the champion. Who you got here? I'm going to go with Jared Cannon here. Uh, I just think, you know, from what I've seen from Jared Cannonier and the power he possesses, I think he's got a real chance to do some damage to Sean Strickland to really hurt him. You know, Sean Strickland, you mentioned, really awesome run of victories, right? He won six in a row, got him to fight in Pereira, got him, you know, pretty darn close to a title shot. We're talking about a split decision and a very lackluster fight over Jack Hermanson. And apart from that, it's not a who's who he beat, right? He's got that unanimous decision over Uriah Hall, who looked like he didn't even want to be there. You know, Christoph Jocko, Brendan Allen, uh, Jack Marshman, Nordine Taleb. Like, we're not talking about, like, the greatest fighters in the world right here. And like you said, Jared Cannonier's a guy who is only losing to the very best in the division, the Israel Adesanya's and the Robert Whitaker's. And if you look at what he did going out and fighting guys like Jack Hermanson and, and, you know, Derek Brunson and Calvin Gastelum, who might be better than almost all the names I just said for Sean Strickland, he's going out and finishing them. You know, he's hitting them with big, heavy punches. You know, he, he landed all those gnarly elbows on Derek Brunson. He's gotten his wrestling going in the past, which is why, you know, some people gave him a little bit of a shot against Israel Adesanya. I, I think he's just more... He's got more dimensions to his game than Sean Strickland. And in addition to having more dimensions to his game, I also think he just is like more of a knockout threat. So over a five-round fight, give me Jared Cannon here. I like it. I think it's a razor-thin fight. I lean towards Strickland, but I really like what you just justified for the Cannoneer pick. We'll call that the official top turtle pick for this week. My bookie is the place to place that bet. All right, let's move on. Drew Dober, a minus 155 favorite. Bobby Green, a plus 135 dog. These are two guys who have been around now nine going on ten years in the UFC. 
and now they are matched up. Dober on a two-fight win streak. He had lost before that, so two and two in his last four. Bobby Green coming off a loss to one Islam Makachev. I think we all know who that is. He had two wins before that, had two losses before that. So he's two and three in his last five. He finds himself the dog here. Who you got? I'm going to go with Drew Dober, and I don't think this line is all that bad either because, you know, I, I like Bobby Green. His big thing is, you know, he comes at you with a lot of volume, you know, with the exception of finishing Ally Akita. It's been a long-ass time since he's finished anybody. Uh, you know, like he, he, you would have to go back to knocking out a dude, a little unknown dude by the name of James Krause back in uh, 2013 to have a uh, actual finish on his record. So, Bobby Green is like usually the type of guy who's either going to, you know, get taken out here or is going to go 15 hard minutes. And, and the thing is about fighting a guy like Drew Dober, Drew Dober has been putting people away. I mean, he put out that prospect, Terrence McKinney, followed that up by putting out another prospect and Rafael Alves go before that. He's got three straight knockout wins before that, you know, obviously with a couple of losses to real top contenders in between. So, like, he's a guy who goes out there and finishes. He swings really hard. I also think if Bobby Green tries to get the wrestling game going like he does sometimes, I think Drew Dover's kind of got that covered. I don't think he's going to really have to worry about that. So, yeah, give, give me Drew Dover here. And, you know, I'd probably be looking for a knockout prop, too. That's not a bad way to, to juice that lineup a little. Our underdog of the week official is Cody Brundage, a plus 230. Let's hear it. Yeah, first of all, I don't know how Cody Brundage wound up being at plus 230 here because – the thing about Cody Brundage is he's on a nice little tear. Uh, you know, he, he came off of, you know, not looking so great in his, you know, first UFC fight against Nick Maximoff. He follows that up by choking out Dolce Lugion Bula in the first round and then absolutely flatlines Treshawn Gore, which in retrospect is a really nice win because Treshawn Gore turned around and looked pretty damn good in his next fight when he took out Josh Frem. So, you know, Cody Brundage here fighting Michael Shajuk. Olashajuk, he's kind of been the up and down kind of guy where he's looked really good against, you know, some people like Sam Elvey or Modestus Bukoskis, but he's not looked so good against people who can strike with him like Dustin Jacoby or Ovin St. Prue. And really, I've loved what I've seen out of Cody Brunch's hands lately. I also think he's got a wrestling advantage here over Olashajuk. Um, and with Olashajuk, you know, not fighting at middleweight for most of his career, you know, he's a light heavyweight coming down to middleweight too. I think if Cody Brundage puts that pace on him, I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up. I like it. Uh, our parlay to play. Our parlay to play this week is going to be Julian Juicy J. Arosa betting off at negative 175. We talked to him earlier on in the show. Listen, I just think he has a massive advantage against Alex Caceres on the feet because Alex Caceres is a guy who, who isn't going to out-wrestle you. And, you know, in the past, he, he's tricky on the feet, but not with a ton of power. Julian Arosa, tons of power, which is why I think you see him betting off at negative 175. I'm going to pair that with an even bigger favorite in Jake Matthews, who is fighting Matthew Samelisberger. We saw in Jake Matthews' last fight, he's getting the wrestling going again. He's strong in that department. And Samelisberger has got power with the hands and has a wrestling background, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to be able to hold up to him. So, we're going to pair those together, get plus four, four, 114, that is. Let's get ourselves some plus money. Let's get some plus money, and let's do it at my bookie and enter in promo code TOPTURTLE and get yourself a lot of cool stuff. Gumby, we're having so much fun on this show. What should we do next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Ultimate Fighter winner and now 3-0 in the UFC, Brian Battle 
who talks to me about his upcoming short notice fight against Renat Fakhradinov and his choice to change his such so, so, so lovable nickname. And we're going to get to all that great content for you. But first, let me just let you know that this interview has been brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Brian Battle. All right, and joining me today is Brian Battle, who fights Renat Fakhradinov at UFC Vegas 66. That fight is on December 17th. So, Brian, I'm going to have to start you off with a hard-hitting question. I know you want to get into talking about the fight, but before I do that, I was snooping around on Tapology, getting the lowdown on you before we got ready for this interview, and I see the nickname at the top of the page, The Butcher, not Pooh Bear, The Butcher. Yeah, t- yeah. T- tell yeah. me when this change happened and, and why. Um. Well, here's the thing, you know what I mean? Um, Pooh Bear, Pooh Bear was a great nickname for a while. It served its purpose, you know, it helped me stand out because it was, it was an interesting name. Um, but, you know, I just feel like I, I grew out of that. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not that guy anymore. I'm not that fighter anymore. Um, and you know, the, 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 the violence and the finality that I'm going to start fighting with, you know, uh, it just felt appropriate. I, I started listening to a lot of Benny the Butcher, and I just, I, it, it just, it, it just, it sounded good. You know what I'm saying? It, it, Brian the Butcher battle. It just sounded like I could, just, I can picture Bruce Buffer saying it right now, and it just sounds so good. You know what I mean? So, yeah, a lot of people didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people didn't like it, but I said that's okay. I like it. So. Yeah, and then when I figured out that I could edit my uh, tapology, <laughs> well, you know, I forgot that I had an account. I was like, all right, well, I'm changing this, you know. I like it. Who, who, in, who particularly didn't like it? Like coaches, teammates, uh, y- your wife? <laughs> uh, one of my head coaches, uh, my mom, uh, random people on the internet, you know what I'm saying? But then on, on the flip side, there's a lot of people that really dig the nickname or are vibing with it, you know what I'm saying? And, you know. After I get a couple more finishes, then, um, uh, then I'm sure that people are, I, then I'm sure, uh, then, yeah, I'm sure, you know, it's going to become much easier to accept after that. Absolutely. And, and your last performance was certainly a, a great example of that violence you're talking about bringing, you know, you come out, you pick up that huge knockout, it moves you up to three, and zero in the UFC, but I got to ask you, now here you are jumping in on a very short notice fight against a very tough opponent in Radak Fakhradinov. What sort of was your mindset behind being like, yeah, jump me in for, you know, kind of a, a tough spot? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm the butcher now. You know what I'm saying? I'm always ready to go. I'm always hungry. You know what I'm saying? I, I've been ready to fight um, since my last fight ended. So um, it was really just... I'd been messaging my agent every week, and when I saw that someone pulled out of a fight, I messaged him. I was like, I'm ready to go. I didn't even know anything about Renat Fakhradinov. You know what I'm saying? I just feel like such a killer right now. It didn't even really matter who it was or what their fight style was like. I love that mentality. I love that mentality. Now, I got an extra question about that because obviously, you know, you're saying you're ready. You're staying. You're staying ready. 
With no fight around Thanksgiving, you're telling me that you were fight ready already coming into that? <laughs> I, I ate one plate at Thanksgiving this year. I ate one plate. I had one plate with a little bit of everything on it, and then I chilled out afterwards. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I will say uh, I probably would have drank a little bit less if I would have known I was going to be fighting soon. But, I mean, all, all things considered, I mean, because – to me, you know, this is this is my job now. You know what I'm saying? I want to be one of the best, and so it's like I'm I'm constantly training to get better. But you know, constantly training to get better, you know, that, that means like I'm constantly in shape. I'm you know I'm constantly ready to go. So, um, you know, man, I just I just feel good right now. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, I saw an opportunity to really make myself stand out from the rest of the crowd. You know what I'm saying? Do something that most people wouldn't do because I can do things most people can't. You feel me? I love it. Now, you mentioned being in shape and being ready all the time. You did go down to 170 for the first time for your last fight. I, I'm curious, how, how was that weight cut? And is it is it just as easy as it was at 85? Um, no, no, not at all. Well, let me let me. Um, it's it's about as easy as it used to be. Because um, I used to. Um, Cut like when I fought on the finale, I showed up fight week at 206 pounds. You know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, it, it, I used to, but when I fought Trey Sean, I didn't even have to really hit the sauna. I just did workouts with some sweats on, and I was, uh, I woke up on weight. So, um, it, it was just when I was fighting Trey Sean, I just noticed that my body had just started dropping weight. So I'd already thought about making the drop. Um, you know, I actually, after the Trey Sean fight, I started um, doing athletic training and upping my protein, figuring I was going to put on weight so I could be a bigger middleweight. Uh, but I ended up losing weight, and um, but I was getting stronger and faster. And so um, I was like, all right, well, you know, I, I did a test cut, uh, figured out I could make it. Um, you know, and then now I got this fight. And so, you know, long story short, long answer to a short question, um, this cut coming up is is not going to be a very fun cut. It's going to be it's not going to be the worst cut I've ever done, but it's not going to be the easiest cut ever. It's definitely going to be uh, the cut's probably going to be harder than the fight, but it's nothing out of it's nothing that I have any doubt I'll be able to make. I just know it's going to suck. Totally understand that one. Now I, I want to take the attention off of you for just a quick second because recently on a fight card, a, a pair of Team Volkanovski guys. Not only both got to fight, but they both picked up huge wins for their career. Look, look really good doing so. What, what was it like getting to see, you know, two guys who had to duke it out in the finale, but now get to do it separately and pick up the win? Yeah, I tell you what. I mean, anytime I can watch, because um, I tell you what, also that same week, Mitch won, I want to say, the CEF title, and Ryder Newman won his fight. Uh, for it might have been tough enough. It was it was a promotion out in Vegas, but yeah, we literally we had four team Volt guys fight and four team Volt guys win. It was really it was really a great week, you know. Um, you know, I really, you know, I I would I wish we kept up with each other a little bit more, but we just got this unbreakable bond. You know, we all love each other so much. So when everybody does well, you know, it's like the whole team does well. You know what I mean? So seeing those guys do well just it literally made my night. Like I was just so happy. And then, you know, Ryder won the next day. Mitch had already won that week. I had, it was a great week. 
Well, that's great to hear. Now, let, let's bring the attention back on you in this upcoming fight against Renat Fakhradinov. Now, you, you mentioned you were in on this fight. You were in to do something that nobody else would do, even before seeing the name, even before knowing very much about him. After taking the fight and deciding you are going to fight him on short notice in just a couple of weeks, what was your reaction to, you know, getting your eyes on him as an opponent and getting to see some of his footage, maybe? Um, you know, he's, he's a tough guy, you know what I'm saying? You know, he's, he's a UFC caliber fighter. Um, and, and he's really good at what he does. You know what I mean? Like he, he has like a, a system that he uses to, to win fights. That's a, a very solid system. It's just, you know, styles make fights and, you know, I just happen to be a hard counter to that kind of style, you know? Um, so um, seeing how he fights, it was definitely, it definitely, I watched that and I was like, okay, this isn't going to be an easy fight. This guy's going to be tough. He's going to be in my face. He's, he's going to be in good shape. But um, stylistically speaking, you know, I'm saying I'm bigger, I'm faster. Um, I have more experience against higher level guys. You know what I'm saying? I know he's on an 18 fight win streak. He hasn't lost in 10 years, but my level of competition compared to his level of competition, I don't think, you know, you can really compare them even as an amateur i fought some killers as an amateur so um yeah man i mean it 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 was i saw that but it it wasn't anything i didn't see it and regret anything i saw it and it was really more reassuring if anything after watching a little bit of his tape you know what i'm saying i was like okay yeah i can you know i already felt confident but i was like i can definitely do this you know what i'm saying it's really just making weight now Absolutely. Now, I always like to end these things with a prediction. How do you see this one going down on December 17th? How's this one end? It's crazy. There's a lot of different ways. I mean, you know, um, you know, I've, I've put people to sleep in the first round. He's put people to sleep in the first round. Um, you know, uh, you know, I've gone to decision. He's gone to decision. Personally, I don't see him making it out of the second round. You know, if anything, I can see the first round being kind of competitive, but, um, I see myself, if it gets to the end of the first round, if it gets out of the first, I see myself taking over towards the second half of the first round. And then the first, uh, second round is just going to be, you know, me putting the, the, the screws on them. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Brian Battle, who fights Renat Fakhradinov at UFC Vegas 66. That fight is on December 17th. Brian, thank you so much for the time again. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. For, thank you for calling me, brother. You have a good one. All right. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We cannot do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Picket, Maroon Social, and MyBookie. And once again, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. Once again, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He was Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you next week.